The book of the prophet Ezekiel is found in the Old Testament and it contains one of the most dramatic passages in the entire Bible, if not in all world literature. The historical background is that Ezekiel and many other people from Israel were deported from their homeland when the nation of Babylon uh, overwhelmed the small nation of Israel, devastated much of it, and again, sent many of its citizens out into exile. Ezekiel was one of them. Along the way, he was absorbed into a vision or a dream of God. And this passage describes what happened. A reading from the book of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. <clears throat> the hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We're cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. In the name of God, the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. One of my heroes is Jared Krasoska. He's an author and an illustrator. He writes and he illustrates his own books. A few years ago, I came across a TED Talk that Jared delivered about the role of art in his life, and not just the role of art, but how his creativity had helped him to survive a very traumatic childhood. Jared grew up in a home where he never knew his father. His mother suffered from drug addiction, so was never part of his life very much when he was a child. 
He was raised by his mother's parents who encouraged him in every way possible to follow his artistic passions. When Jarrett was 14, his grandfather took him to the Worcester Art Museum in Worcester, Massachusetts and enrolled him in art classes. His grandfather also bought him a drafting table so he had his own imagination station right in his bedroom. Now those booster shots of inspiration gave Jarrett the confidence to pursue art as a full-time calling. And I love the way that he has done for other children what his grandparents did for them, which is to find every way possible to encourage the artistic ambitions of other people. So he visits schools and classrooms and encourages children in their art-making activities. I also think that he has some of the best titles of books I've ever come across. One of them is called Platypus Police Squad, The Frog Who Croaked. And then there's Lunch Lady and the Cyborg Substitute, or Lunch Lady and the Bake Sale Bandit. You guessed it, there's a whole series called the Lunch Lady series. Imagination gave him his vocation. Imagination saved his life. When the human imagination is given enough oxygen, when we truly respect this extraordinary power that lies within each of us, when we exercise it to its fullest extent, then we can call upon its energy in so many different ways to build, to weave, negotiate, invent, plan, love. We can create recipes, improve our relationships, make music, come up with an idea to address climate change. And with its help, we can survive extraordinary ordeals. By using the power of his imagination, Colonel Robert Hall was able to survive his imprisonment during the Vietnam War. While flying photo reconnaissance near Hanoi, his plane was shot down. And after he was captured, he was held captive as a prisoner of war for over seven years, and he spent much of that time in captivity in solitary confinement. Earlier in his life, he had been an avid golfer. So when he was incarcerated, he called upon his imagination to put him in touch with that passion. In his tiny little cell, he would actually imagine himself on a gorgeous, expansive golf course. He could see himself taking one golf ball out of his golf bag, setting it up on the tee, talking with his friends, his imaginary friends, feeling the warmth of the sun on his back, and then striking the ball, and then walking down the fairway to follow it and prepare for his next shot. If he thought a ball, by the way, had gone 240 yards, he would step out 240 yards in his cell, walking all of that time, enjoying his imaginary time on the golf course. Imagination saved his life. Innovations and transformations in human endurance, technology, medicine, architecture, humor, all can be traced, each and every one, to the human capacity for using the imagination to enhance life and improve the common good. We are surrounded with examples of that kind of creativity, especially in the sanctuary where I'm recording this message. The sanctuary itself is evidence of someone's imaginative work. 
the tapestries on the wall behind me, the hymns that we sing in worship, the poetry that we read and share, the recording equipment that makes this recording possible. All of this is evidence of this great inner richness of life within each and every one of us. There's a force for good that helps us make all these things. And in the making, it draws us closer to that mysterious energy of life that we call the spirit. Uncontainable, inexhaustible, baffling, yet wanting to join with us as co-collaborators. Frederick Beekner, who was one of our great American writers and who actually delivered lectures in the sanctuary of Round Hill Community Church, once made this comment about the human imagination. Imagining, he said, is perhaps as close as humans get to creating something out of nothing the way God is said to. It is a power that to one degree or another, everybody has or can develop, like whistling, like muscles, it can be strengthened through practice and exercise. 2,000 years ago, as Jesus and his friends walked from one dusty village to the next, surrounded and followed by hungry and hurting people and barking dogs, his most enduring gift, in a way, came in the form of the stories that he told and left behind for people to retell and savor. In that sense, he was a powerful imagineer, telling stories that awakened in his listeners the vision of a world very different from the world in which they were living. His stories always pointed towards a greater mercy, a greater spirit of compassion, a greater sense of justice. So he didn't offer 10-point programs or three little lessons for human happiness. He offered stories about people like the people who were hearing the stories. Like one about a man who was walking along a dangerous road on the way to the town of Jericho, was overtaken by captives. He was robbed and beaten and left for dead. Soon thereafter, a man came along, a man with a religious background who saw this man suffering, but rushed ahead. Another man soon came along. He too walked on ahead. But a third person, a foreigner, a Samaritan, he stopped, he helped this man, tended his wounds, placed him on his donkey, brought him to a local inn, gave him long-term medical care. That man, the good Samaritan, became such a powerful example in the story of Jesus about what it means to be a good neighbor and a compassionate person. And for 2,000 years, we've been telling and retelling that story in a way that always helps us to remember that this really is what it means to be a good neighbor. I think that when people heard that story, heard Jesus tell it, they could see themselves in it, could imagine themselves being hurt and left by the side of the road, hoping perhaps that friend or stranger would come by and offer help. Maybe these people could imagine themselves being that good Samaritan, envisioning becoming part of a vanguard of a new and more compassionate humanity. Helen Keller, who faced great obstacles in her life, lost both her hearing and her vision very, very early on in life, said, what a tragedy it is to be able to see but have no vision. 
Now, Robert Moss is a contemporary author who writes extensively about dreams and imagination, and he takes Helen Keller's comment one step further. He has looked out at the world in which we live, and he makes this claim. The greatest crisis in our lives, he says, is a crisis of imagination. We get stuck and we bind ourselves to the wheel of repetition because we refuse to reimagine our situation. You've probably heard that phrase, doing something over and over again that's not working but somehow expecting new results. We may even live, he says, with a set of negative or confining images and pronounce them reality. We do this to cling to the familiar, not daring to give up what we are or have been for what we are meant to become. Now the good news is that we have at our disposal from within our religious tradition, stories, images, rituals, art that can help us to move into the future by using our imagination. A long time before Jesus lived, Another great storyteller by the name of Ezekiel described a time in his life when he was challenged to imagine a future of hope for his people when such a future must have seemed impossible. Ezekiel, along with many other people from the nation of Israel, was deported to the land of Babylon after the Babylons had overwhelmed the little nation of Israel, overtaken it, sent many of its citizens into exile. Now, along the way, he became absorbed in a visionary encounter with God. It is one of the most dramatic passages in the entire Bible. In this vision, God brought him to a vast valley where they surveyed the landscape together like two friends looking over a, a horrific scene. The valley was full of bones, and the story says they were very dry. It's an eerie spectacle. And while they are surveying this lifeless landscape, God asked him this powerful question. Can these bones live? In a way, it was also a question for Ezekiel and those who were brought into exile. Could those people, so empty of hope, ever find hope again? Now this question, can these bones live? Can this situation become more hopeful? Is there any chance that something new can get started over here? These kinds of questions are questions we're always asking in one way or another. Maybe it's about a relationship that feels dried out. Maybe it's about a future of a company whose fortunes have gone south. What about Ukraine and places in the world in which there's so, so much violent conflict that there seems no hope of an end in sight? Can these bones live? It's as if this ancient question is being asked of us, and it's a question that is meant to awaken something in us, our imagination. How can our imagination lead us into answers we've not yet considered? Now, what Ezekiel discovered in his vision is that God was not going to let death have the last word. And so God instructed Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones to get them to wake up. And there's this stirring moment in the passage when these bones begin to rattle. Bone starts to become attached to bone. They stand and then sinew forms and flesh. And suddenly, that which was lifeless is ready to live again. And in the most dramatic part of the passage, 
God breathes new life into all of these people. And suddenly there is hope where there was none and it's all made possible because of the power of imagination. When J.K. Rowling delivered the commencement address at Harvard some years ago, <clears throat> she said, we do not need magic to change the world. And there's a lot of magic in those Harry Potter books that she wrote. She says, we carry all the power we need inside ourselves already. We have the power to imagine better. What if one way to unlock that power is to trust that littlest of questions? What if? What if everything that Jesus said and did was designed to help us use our imaginations in the service of love? With his stories and his teachings and his parables, it was as if he was always looking for ways to ask us to, to consider provocative questions designed to liberate our imaginations. Like these, what if we respond with kindness to those who treat us poorly? I think that's a question that Jesus was asking in his life. What if we love our enemies instead of hating them? He was most definitely asking that question. What if the model of true greatness as a human being is a vulnerable child? I say this because at one point, the disciples of Jesus came to him and said, hey, who's the greatest among us? Yeah. You can tell us, who's the greatest? Well, he turned aside from them. He called a child forward who happened to be standing nearby, put the child right in the middle of everybody and said, unless you become as a child, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. That was an imagination stretcher. I've heard it said that logic will get you from A to B, but your imagination will take you anywhere you want to go. So there's no part of life that's too small or too complicated or too overwhelming for the imagination to be able to affect its power. Case in point, this past week, a friend of mine who coaches pastors and helps them to become more imaginative, more successful in their ministries, shared his thoughts on this question. How can we use our imaginations to employ email as a force for good? I wish I could take a show of hands right now to see when was the last time anybody asked you that question? Now, some of my emails, frankly, have been good for nothing. This is not necessarily a question I'd given a lot of consideration to, but I loved it because here was my friend Jim bringing the imagination into the real daily nitty gritty of life. We write emails and we receive emails. Most of them, like myself, I process much too quickly. I just want to get them out of my inbox. Jim says, wait a minute. He offered three suggestions for turning email into a force for good. A source of blessing, actually, is the phrase that he used. He said, first of all, use, use email responses to affirm someone's gift, to remind them of a gift or a power that they possess and affirm them. Second, thank them for the work that they are already doing. Express gratitude, don't take anything for granted. Last of all and best of all, he says, wonder with them. Invite them to ask some what if questions about their ministry, to think beyond what they're currently thinking, to come up against a problem with solutions they'd never used before. Now in these relatively simple ways, Jim is offering a great example of how the imagination could make life richer and better for us 
in a very simple way that's accessible to us each and every day. Now we can also find the imagination at work on a much, much larger scale. Recently, I came across an article about a young woman whose name is Claire Annie Nelson. She's an environmental engineer and she's working on a very specific project. It turns out, and I have to confess that most of this was news to me, that volcanic rocks and much of the surface of the earth is composed of volcanic rock, chemically reacts with carbon dioxide, please stay with me here, and essentially these rocks breathe it in, transforming it into a solid form that becomes part of the rocks themselves. Sounds magnificent to me, what a solution for climate change, except it does it too slowly to make any real difference to the fate of humanity on the planet. So Claire, and other environmental engineers are working at that. In her words, she said, we're speeding up a natural chemical reaction by injecting carbon dioxide from the air into volcanic rocks underground. Taking carbon dioxide out of the air goes a long way toward addressing climate change. But as she says, only if it stays out of the air, only if you can safely put it somewhere else, like, you guessed it, volcanic rock. Now, speeding up that process, it's not easy. It's not simple. It's going to take innovation and new thinking. It's going to take a whole lot of what-if questions. But people like Claire are working on that issue with the power of their imaginations, and they see real possibility for it happening. In fact, it is already happening in small ways across the world. Now, we can't all of us be engineers, but we can all become better imagineers. So when I come across articles like the one that I just mentioned about that remarkable young environmental engineer, Claire Annie Nelson, what I've been doing is I've been saving those articles. And I've been keeping an imagineering netbook, notebook where I record my observations about these articles. Now, some people track birds, I'm tracking ideas. And I'm asking myself some questions as I read these articles. What new angle of life am I seeing? Is there an idea here that is somehow worthy of further development in my life? What did I find inspiring? Is there anything we can learn from this article or this book or this podcast that can help us for our work at Round Hill Community Church? I'm suggesting to you that there are examples all around us all the time where people are using their imaginations in extraordinary ways, really exercising them. <clears throat> that those stories might come to us through an article in a paper, a comment overheard from uh, the child who lives next door, uh, a single line from a television show that we're watching. Those are just some of the ways that the spirit might be imparting information about how to use the imagination as a force for good, and let's not miss a single one of them. We do not need magic to change the world, said J.K. Rowling. We carry all the power we need inside ourselves already. We have the power to imagine better. So when life begins to look and feel like dry bones, which it probably does from time to time, Let's take a walk and breathe. Let's listen to the natural world around us. Let's do some dreaming. Let's ask some what-if questions. 
Let's put out a little sign that says, imagination at play, and then follow the Spirit wherever it may lead.